Good evening, or good morning. What am I saying evening? Thought I was going to the secret place. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with me today at the Digital Cathedral 2022. This summer's slipping by us. School has probably started for many of you. It has here in Texas. My grandson, my youngest grandson is just off to Oklahoma State University for his freshman year. So everything is, is well in my world, and I hope it is in your world too. You might have noticed that the title of the teaching today is Hear It, Receive It, and Live It. Hear It, Receive It, and Live It. That's pretty much a progression for things that happen to us within a dimension of spirit and how our life is put together. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And uh, I've really got two missions today. I want to, I want to give you something that many of you I think are going to be able to use in your life and also I want to give you a tool that will help you to minister to other people that are walking through difficulties, walking through tough times. So this morning we're going to hear it, we're going to receive it, and then we're going to live it. I'd like to start with a scripture, familiar scripture. This is from my old Word in Faith days back in Mark chapter 11 verse 23. This is what Pop Hagen was famous for preaching on, uh, Word of Faith. Uh, exercising your faith and I love this verse of scripture and there's a lot of depth in there for us people that live in grace and finished work and inclusion also it says in Mark chapter 11 verse 23 so remember now we're gonna we're gonna hear it receive it and live it right Mark chapter 11 verse 23 Jesus said assuredly I say to you whoever says to this mountain whoever speaks to the difficulty the the, the problem the the thing that is in seems to be insurmountable Whoever says to this, be removed and cast into the sea, that means put out of, put out of mind, put out of existence, put out of experience, uh, dismiss yourself and get the heck out of Dodge, right? Shall be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. That's where he receives it. So he hears it, he's going to say it, he's received it and believes that those things which he says shall come to pass, whether there's power in the word that we speak. The word that comes out of our heart. I've talked to you about imagination. Thoughts become imagination. If you want to create, he's talking to you about creating a different reality. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to the fifth chapter of John. We're going to do another edition in, in the book of John. But he's talking about creating a reality that you desire. And I want to ask you two questions this morning real quick. What is it that you really want in life that has not come your way that would make you feel fulfilled and whole? What, what is it that maybe, that maybe you feel you're lacking? There's something in your life that you feel you're lacking. Now remember, I'm giving you this teaching this morning for you, some of you, but I want to give you something that you can work with people because you and I, as grace people, we're encountering a lot of people that are going through a lot of hurt in the world, that are moved by circumstances, moved by the stock market, moved by so much going on, and they, they just feel lost. So second question is this, is there something that you feel you're lacking that has stopped you from being complete, right? Might have gone on for years. Might have been something that has, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, has gone on and on and on and you've asked the Lord to remove it. You've asked for the change, but nothing really seems to, to have happened. We're going to talk about that this morning. In fact, you've just come to accept it as it is. You've come to the place where you just say that's that's the way it is in my life. Or like we would say today, it is what it is, right? Things, this is probably never gonna change. It's never gonna be any different. I've just, I have to live with it. I'm just, I'm just have to adapt and, and learn how to live with this thing. 
If you feel that way this morning, if there's something you feel like you're lacking, or if you know someone that you're going to maybe have a chance to, to drop a good word to, then I've got some things I want to speak to you this morning, some things that we want to draw out of the story from over in John chapter 5. We worked our way up to John chapter 5 after all these months. So in John chapter 5, I want to read the first nine verses. And let's keep in mind, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to first hear it, we're going to receive it, and then we're going to live it. Hear it, receive it, live it. All right. So let's go to John chapter 5. And let's read this story of, of what would appear on the surface to be a tremendous healing that Jesus performed. John chapter 5, and I'll read all nine verses just to give us the whole context of the story. John chapter 5, verse 1. Says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem from the time he was a boy. He went up there as a good Jewish boy. Now he's a man. He's going back up for one of the feasts. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. That word Bethesda actually means house of mercy or house of grace, which is called in, in Hebrew Bethesda, house of mercy, house of grace, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. You know the story, but just listen. Blind people, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred the water. Then whoever stepped first after the stirring of the water, boy, you talk about competition, stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. This man had something in his life that he felt was lacking for him to be complete. There was something that had gone for so, um, for so many years, he probably just had the attitude, this is the way it is, this, this is my life. But doggone it, I'm going to go down there by that pool, I'm going to hang out. And this guy had been sick for 38 years. How many years he'd been down to the pool, I don't know. But after 38 years, I would have thought he would have devised a plan, would have had a scheme, been a step ahead of everybody else, and would have figured out how to get into that pool ahead of everybody. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool where the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, walked, and, the, and that day was the Sabbath. That's a red flag. We're going we're gonna to find out. Sabbath got Jesus into more trouble. He did more good things on the Sabbath than the religious people had a real problem with it. We're, we're going to talk about that in about 20 minutes after we get into this teaching. All right. So you got the story. Here, here we have the story of Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethesda, right? The, 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 the house of mercy, the house of grace. But there's more going on here than just a miracle. I think what I want to do this morning with you is to peek just below the surface. And really what you can see going on here, and we're going to draw this out, is the proclamation of the ultimate wholeness that comes by realizing the, 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 the release of one's true self and waking up to the eternal life that we've always had within us. This man had some stuff within him that he didn't know was there, and Jesus reached inside and pulled it out. And something pretty, pretty spectacular took place in the life of man that thought this is just the way it is. It is what it is, and I'm never going to be any different. 
So let's break this down. Jesus, Jesus was in Jerusalem for a celebration, one of the Jewish feasts. So he walks out and he goes past the sheep gate and he comes into where there's five porches and by a pool where people have gathered with all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems, physical maladies. And they had a, a, a belief, and I did a little research on this and I'm not gonna come to any conclusion on it. They had a belief that an angel would every so often come down and trouble the waters, kind of stir the waters up. And the first one that got in the pool, after the angel stirred the waters up, that person would be healed. Everybody else, everybody else was left out in the cold. I don't like that, I don't like that scenario. I don't like that position at all. I don't, know, I don't know what this angel was. I don't know how often the pool was stirred. I don't know if it was even stirred, uh, if it was just a story. I don't know. I'm, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna commit to that. Even crossed my mind, Jesus as a boy going to all these feasts up in Jerusalem with his mom and dad. I, I want, wouldn't it be something if Jesus happened to walk by that pool, all these sick people, and Jesus' little boy just kind of walked over the water, went like this, <laughs> and he stirred it up. They thought, that boy's an angel. I don't know if that happened. It's pretty far out there. But who knows, right? I, I, I like that idea. So Jesus walks uh, into that, past the sheep gate, into the where the pool of Bethesda is, and he sees this man laying there that had been sick. Check this out, sick 38 years. Now in this story, we aren't told what the sickness is, we aren't told what the problem is, and because John deleted that out, I'd like to think that the story has some application for all of us. Right? He didn't say it was cancer, didn't say it was something he had since birth, didn't, didn't really specify. So I'm just going to say, look, whatever my problem is, whatever it is that I think that I'm lacking that would hold me back from wholeness, from fulfilling my life and what I think my destiny is, I can see some things in this story that are really applicable to me. So Jesus asks the man, he asks him point blank, do you want to be made well? Now, the, 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 the word well there is, is not a real good translation. Probably a better word would have been healed, but really the word well there, if you go to the concordance, the word well actually means whole. And can I just tell you that whole trumps well, whole trumps healing every time. When you are made whole, that means there's nothing, there's no deficiency, there's no lack, there's, there's no 90% functionality, right? It, when you are whole, that means you've been brought back into absolute perfection. So that's what Jesus asked this man. Not just do you want to be well, not just be alleviated of these symptoms. This is a whole deeper question. He says, do you want to be made whole? Now you would have, you would have thought the man would have not only said yes, but he would have said, hell yes, I want to be, I want to be whole, I want to be perfect in my, my physical body after these 38 years. So this, this story, when we're going to get down to it, is about a huge shift in identity. It's a huge shift in how you see yourself. It's a huge shift. Now notice the response in verse 7. Jesus says, do you want to be made, and I'm going to use the right word, do you want to be made whole? And so the man says in verse 7, rather than saying yes, he says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. He's going to, first E, he's going to make an excuse. I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water's stirred up, while I'm coming down, another steps in ahead of me. That's not what Jesus asked him. He did not answer the question that Jesus asked. He came up with an excuse, and 
He blame shifted. He said, it's not my fault. I've done my part. I've gotten up, but by the time somebody helps me get down there, doggone them, if they would have got here early, if they would have helped me. He was making an excuse. He blame shift. It's not what Jesus asked him. Jesus had a very simple question. I wonder sometimes when, when Jesus comes to us and speaks to us about our, our wellness, our wholeness, and is giving us a, a, a way that maybe we can, we can integrate that wholeness into our life, we say, look, Jesus, I don't have education. Jesus, I don't, I don't have a background. Um, I'm, like, I'm like the guy over there dreading, treading weed out in the, you know, uh, uh, Gideon, I've come from the poorest family. I'm the poorest one in the poorest family. I, I got no future, no plans. It's just the way my life is. That's not what Jesus asked them. That's not what Jesus ever asks us. He never asks us for an excuse out of the situation we're in. Now in verse 8, Jesus doesn't answer the guy. He doesn't, doesn't try to refute the man's excuse, but gives him another E, effort. He says in verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, sir, you need to do something. I'm, I'm speaking to you a life-giving word that will transform you. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I didn't ask for your excuse. I gave you a simple direct question. Do you want to be made whole? Jesus just bypasses his answer like he never heard it. it says in verse 9, rise, take up your bed and walk. Effort. Man-made excuse, Jesus comes with acting on his word. Now, the ball's in the man's court now. He either can rely on his excuse, he can fall back on that and remain in the situation that he's in, or he can act on what Jesus has spoken to him, a rhema word spoken directly to him. When Jesus speaks directly to you, you need to, you need to perk those catchers on the side of your head up or the catchers that are within your spirit. You need to really tune in because what Jesus says, if we act on it, we're going to get a result. We're going to get a manifestation. When I face difficulty, the first thing I want to know is what is the Father saying to me about this? And he may say nothing for a spell. It may go on and on. He, I don't feel like he's saying anything to me. But at, at the same time, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look to what my circumstance is saying. I'm not going to look to what somebody else tells me. I'm not going to look to what a two-bit prophet that comes into town tries to relate to me. That I'm going to walk through the tulips and the roses and everything's going to be fine. All that, all that garbage. I'm not going to listen to that. I want to hear what the direct word to me is, so that I know what to act on. So in verse nine, it says, "And immediately the man." was made well. The word's whole again. He was made whole. He was made whole. Immediately, the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and the day was the Sabbath. <clears throat> Just a couple of real quick observations. I noticed Jesus in verse 8 said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He didn't anoint him with oil, <laughs> didn't lay hands on him, didn't cast the devil out of him, didn't come against the spirit of infirmity in this man, didn't do any of that. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. So the, the, the wholeness in the man was there all the time. It, Jesus made a demand on it. Jesus didn't, didn't create the wholeness and give it to the man. The wholeness was in the man, and it was clouded over by 38 years of sickness, 38 years of, of not being able to achieve that thing that would give him what he was looking for in life. So on the surface of this, when, I, when you read John chapter 5, the first nine verses, on the surface what you see is a healing miracle, but what I see is a parable about being made whole in a spiritual sense 
that has ramifications and manifestations in the natural sense. Really, what went, what went on here was a, was a spiritual awakening. It was a change in identity. It was a change in perception. It was an, a, a, an ability to learn to begin to act on what Jesus said to him. So what, what this story tells me is that I am whole. I'm not broken. I'm not part of a, I'm not a little bit of, a, of, of the whole. I am whole. I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are the whole. And when we wake up to our wholeness within us, when again the spirit of truth comes like it did Jesus' man, when it comes and gets a hold of that wholeness within us and begins to draw it out of us, that's when we enter and manifest the kingdom. That's when we begin to walk in everything that belongs to us. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made whole? That's the jackpot question. Today, do you want to be made whole? The thing that's held you back, thing that you think has been the thorn in the flesh, the nemesis of your life, do you want to be made whole? In other words, Jesus was saying to the man, what's your intention? What's your focus? What's your plan? What, what is it that you really would like? What's your aim? What's the target? What's the bullseye? And that's very important because if you have no, none, the, the man did not hit the target. When Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? Instead of saying, yes, I sure do. He came up with an excuse. So his focus, his intention, his aim was, was not what it should have been. So Jesus backs up and gave him another chance. He says, all right, let's see if we can't focus your aim. I want you to rise, take up your bed and walk. So the man had to move now. He had to change his perception. He had to stop seeing himself as this man that had, a, had an infirmity 38 years that was full of excuses why he couldn't be healed. He had to now begin to see himself according to the word of Jesus where he could be made whole if he would pick up his bed and act on what Jesus had said to him. Now here's what I've noticed over all the years I've been in ministry. I've noticed something. As hard as it is to fathom, some people do not want to be made whole. I remember having people come to the altar for the same thing week after week after week after week, and they would always be prayed for, and they would leave the same way that they came in. You know why? You know why? Honestly, I'm, I'm going I'm to shoot you straight. That's what I try to do to Digital Cathedral. Some people have gotten comfortable with how things are. Now listen to me very carefully. They've learned to live with it. They've accepted it. They've embraced it. They, 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 it's got their attention. And you know what they like? They like the sympathy that it brings from people. They like the attention that it gives. They like being able to go down and have everybody and their brotherly hands and pray on them. They like, they like being the one that has something that nobody's able to take care of. And so it gets a lot of attention, gets a lot of sympathy. People have come to a place in their life oftentimes where that brings them a sense of security, value, and identification, strong identity. Many people never become whole, listen to this, because they've become institutionalized in the church. The church assumes you're broken. Church assumes you're messed up. Every Sunday, the pastor assumes that somehow you are jacked up, so he's there to give you a formula or steps to fix you. The church is in the business of fixing you, repairing you. At the Digital Cathedral, I'm not in the business of fixing you or repairing you. I'm in the business of, 
of uncovering who you are, who God created you to be. I don't need fixing. I don't, I don't need some band-aid slapped on me. What I need is to find out who I am and what Jesus died on a cross to freely give me. So we come at that from a lot of different directions. Some people have become very institutionalized in church. Here's what I mean by that. People in prison, after years of being in prison, being incarcerated for years and years and years, they want to remain in prison. In fact, some guys get out of prison after being in prison 20 years, and they go out and commit a crime almost immediately because their motivation is to get back into prison. They've totally adapted to prison life. They know in the morning when they wake up and hear the bell, the door's gonna open, they go to breakfast. They come back, they know when the bell goes off, they go to the rec yard. They know later in the day when the bell rings again, it's time for dinner. When the bell rings at night, the lights are going off and the doors close. They become accustomed to that. It becomes a very secure lifestyle that they have adapted to. They have conformed to it. That is their world and they don't want to change. Listen, same thing happens in religion. Don't let anybody tell you it doesn't. We, come, we become totally conformed. So many of us here at the Digital Cathedral spent 10, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years in the institutional church, and we became conformed to being told what to believe, became very comfortable in that. We pay the dude upon the platform, tell me what the Bible says. We pay the, the headquarters to tell us what we believe, what we're for, what we're against, why we're right and they're, they're all wrong. We become very comfortable in being told what the Bible says, how to view a scripture, what lens to look at it through. I googled institutionalization, institutionalization in, in, uh, on, the, on the internet. I googled it and here's what it said. It said that institutionalization happens after about 10 years. So when a man's been in prison about 10 years, he becomes accustomed to the system, he adapts to the system, and that system becomes his comfort zone. The same thing happens in church. Wholeness is found in Christ, it's not found in an institution. How, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, and it's really hilarious now that you're free of it, heard someone say, bless God, my granddaddy was a Baptist, or Church of Christ, whatever. My granddaddy was a Baptist, my daddy was a Baptist, I was born a Baptist, and I will die a Baptist. That guy's been institutionalized, let's face it. He has come to believe he and the Baptist, or he and the prison, Texas Department of Corrections are now one. Wholeness is in Christ. Healing is in Him. It's, it's not, you don't ever find wholeness in the restraints of, our, of an institution. Those of you that have hung around me any num a number of, of months or years, you know I don't like the institution of religion. I have a tremendous heart for the people. There are thousands, there are hundreds of thousands of people today that are gathered in evangelical churches, charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches that are sincere men and they have a love for Jesus. But they're being bamboozled, they're being hoodwinked, they're being institutionalized. They have come to feel very secure in that building on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, gathering with people who believe it exactly like they do. And they're told what to believe. Here at the Digital Cathedral, we don't tell anybody what you have to believe. We, we shine the light. <clears throat> if you have ears to hear, you hear it. 
If I'm wrong, and I'm not telling you that I'm right all the time, because I'm not. I'm changing all the time. My, my theology, my perception, the revelation that I get from the Word, the revelation I get from, from spending time with the Father alone, it expands, and as it expands, the, the picture gets, gets in better focus, and when it comes in better focus, I see it better, and I'm going to knock some rough edges off in places. But people become very secure in gathering with people and hear a confirmational bias message that just reaffirms week after week after week after week what they believe until they swallow the whole thing hook, line, and sinker. And when they hear something that varies off from what they believe, that's heresy. That's the last time falling away. That's wrong. That is, that is wrong doctrine. Those people are being deceived over there. See, that's what happened to this man at the pool. He was totally institutionalized within that, within that infirmity, and he came to a place where he believed it was impossible for him to ever be in any other situation. And in fact, he was comfortable in it and made an excuse when Jesus said, do you want out of this? Answer be yes. We become so institutionalized that we're actually fearful of coming outside of that box that we've been placed into as a Baptist, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, a Charismatic, a Word of Faith. And I, I don't want grace to ever become that box. You gotta know that Paul said it's gonna take the ages to come for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to unwind the depths, he said, of the riches of the grace and the inheritance that we have in Christ. So we're going to be perpetually adjusting, perpetually changing. But here's the truth. Many people prefer the bondage and spend their life escaping freedom. That's a sad thing. That is a very sad thing. And yet that goes on that's going on all over around the world today, not just in America, but around the world. Here, here's why we think we can never be entirely whole. Here, here's the reason behind it. I suspect that man in John chapter 5 convinced himself that it was impossible. It was impossible. So when Jesus said, do you want to be made well, he ran that through the filter of impossible. Now remember what we read in Mark eleven twenty three. Whoever says to this mountain, whoever says to that infirmity, whoever says to that thing that appears to be unmovable, it didn't talk about a molehill. Talk about a mountain. Whoever says to this mountain, "Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea," and does not doubt in his heart, he's drawn a picture in his imagination of that mountain moving, of that infirmity being gone, of that wholeness coming into the life, and he has meditated on it long enough. It has dropped into his heart. And the heart has grown it so much so that now the mouth is speaking out of the abundance of the heart. That's what the scripture says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart grows in abundance to what the imagination has drawn the picture of. When you draw a picture of having an infirmity that you'll never escape from, something that is lacking in your life, I'll never be what God said I could be, I'll never fulfill my call, I'm too old, I'm too uneducated. As long as you're still breathing air and taking up space, you have the opportunity to become the best you that the earth has ever seen. And I challenge you for that. You're not me, I'm not you. I'm the best me that I can produce through the power of the love of God. And so are you. But this man lost all hope of ever being whole because he thought the situation, he convinced himself, 
he would never be whole. And a lot of people are never whole spiritually and never reach wholeness spiritually. I'm going to tell you why. They never discover who they've always been. They have a wrong identity. This man had a wrong identity. He saw himself sick rather than whole. Jesus took him out of that. Jesus changed the man's perception of himself. And we've had the wrong identity, wrong perception. We've been hoodwinked. We've been brainwashed into thinking that something is intrinsically wrong with us. We heard it down at the church. We heard it for years and years. Something's wrong with us. And we spend our whole life trying to fix it, trying to mend it, trying to make it better. Christians call that intrinsically wrong, messed up you, call that original sin. They call that edemic nature. They call that, they call that depravity. And they say, we're born into this. That's just the way it is. We're born into this. That's the way it is. I'm trying to kill this old man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to crucify my flesh. I'm trying to crucify it every day, but I'm broken. I'm separated. And it's a huge problem. We see ourselves fallen and we look at the world. This is where it really gets tragic. We look at the world and we see the world as being fallen, right? We have a total dark view of human condition. We're not shining light. We're agreeing with the darkness. So our starting point, our starting point in life is always messed up. Our starting point is a problem that we really can't solve. See, well, I'm a new creation, I'm in Christ, but we're still dragging along this old man, this old edemic nature. And if that's not bad enough, we're saying the devil's harassing us, the devil's beating the tar out of us. And we're trying to always fight the devil and get him off of us because we're not whole, we're not, we're not at that place yet in our, in our walk. So we see ourselves depraved, we see ourselves separated, we see ourselves lost. We've been brainwashed into this. And the hardest part is not getting you out of the church. The hardest part is getting the church, the institution, out of you. The hard part is not getting you to see truth. The hard part is getting you to experience it. We hear it, we receive it, we experience it. We hear it. We hear it physically, but then we have to we have to begin to experience it and we have to begin to, to live it out. So we see the world dark. We, we're told that's not the way it is. Here, here's, what's, here's what's going on in the earth today. This could, have been, this could have been written for today. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise and shine for your light has come. Arise. Arise. Does that sound like what Jesus told the man? Yes. The word is arise. Within. Stand up. Get on your feet. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. Do you know the glory of the Lord's on you all over you? The, gl the glory of the Lord is, is the totality of what he is. The, the totality of what God is, is on you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Watch. Darkness shall cover the earth. We see that around it. Are you going to focus on that? And deep darkness the people. But, but I love big buts. I love these big butts in scripture. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. So we got these two things going on at one time. This is our world today. We got darkness getting darker, gross darkness covering people. The society, if we look at it, is getting worse. But, 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 here's the big but. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. Do you recognize that? He's, now watch what he goes on to say. Verse three, Gentiles shall come to your light. Those, those that are spiritually blind, those that are spiritually ignorant, those that have no spiritual understanding, and kings to the brightness of your coming. So we got two, two, 
different, whole different groups of people. We're saying to them, rise, take up your bed and walk. We're changing identity. We're changing, we're changing the scenario. Lift up your eyes all around and see. Get, quit looking at the darkness. Quit looking at, at, at what appears to be uh, an insurmountable problem. We're speaking to the mountain today. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. So let's go back to the story. Verse 7, Jesus doesn't accept the man's self-diagnosis. He doesn't accept the man's excuse when the man says, I Man, this is mission impossible. There's nothing ever going to change. But he never left the porch, did he? He never left the porch. But he said, this isn't going to work. Now, what's the difference in the, in the man's perception and Jesus' perception? The man saw himself as a 38-year hindered sick man. Jesus sees the man whole. What's the difference in people the way they see themselves today in the way Jesus sees them? We see our shortcomings. We see where we mess up. We see where we foul up. Jesus sees us for who we are and calls us to act on it. Jesus looks at the man and sees who he really is, not as he's conditioned to see himself. Jesus sees him different. Question is, how does the Father see you today? Can I just tell you how he sees you? Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm not even going to tell you where the reference is because by now you ought to know it because I read it all the time. Ephesians, listen to this. This is how, this is how the Father sees you and this is how you got to see you. If you see you any other way than this, you're seeing yourself lesser than. You're seeing as the, as the sick man saw himself. And the spirit of truth today is reaching down inside of you and he's pulling out to the surface your wellness. Verse 4, just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How does the Father see you today? He sees you holy and without blame. Can you see you that way? You say, man, you don't know me, you don't know the mistake. I don't care about that. You're talking now, you're, you're making an excuse. Do you see you like he sees you? Do you see you chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? Do you see you that way? Do you see yourself holy and blameless? Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus according to the good pleasure of his will? Do you see you according to the pleasure of his good will, which as is as a son? And for those of you that got a little problem, I get a message once in a while. A son slash daughter, right? Son slash daughter, want to make sure I get that in there, because that's how he sees you. He wants the man to see himself like Jesus sees him, which is on his feet, taking up his bed, walking in total wholeness. All it took, all it took is for Jesus, or all it took is for somebody to tell this man, get up, because in reality, the wholeness is within you. What you're looking for is always resided inside. Now, some of you are going to get what I'm going to say, and some of you aren't going to get it. The only ultimate reality is, is the Father and what the Father says to you. That's the only ultimate reality. Everything else is temporary. 
Everything else is constantly changing. Even this man's situation eventually changed. I think it could have changed years earlier if he would have had the revelation, if he would have not already had a mindset that there's no way this can possibly change. The only reality is what the Father says to you. Everything else is subject to change. Stock market subject to change. Elections, governments, people. I mean, it all changes. It all revolves. It all evolves. The only thing that doesn't change is it, it, that is real in the ultimate sense is the eternal, right? The things that stress us out, the things that cause anxiety, the things that, that bothered this man for 38 years, the things that, that vie for our attention every day, all day long, they are short-lived in the big scheme, the picture of things. You remember what Paul said over in 2 Corinthians 4.18? He said, we don't look at the things that are seen. That means you're not looking here. We look at things that are not seen. You're looking out of here. For the things that are seen are subject to change. They're temporal. They're temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. So where's your focus today? Isaiah 60. Is it on the darkness, gross darkness people? Or is it on the light that is arising within you? Maybe you feel like there's no light within you. Then you're walking in wrong identity. There is a light and the glory of God is beginning to shine on you. Now what Jesus taught us in, in Luke chapter 6 begins to make a lot of sense. Looking at this story of the man, I have no man to put me into the pool. Jesus bypasses it, says, take up your bed and walk, word of Jesus. The man acts on the word of Jesus and he's made not just healed, he's not just made well, he's made whole. Now you understand a little bit what Jesus said. Let's read it, Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> All right, we're, we're, we're hitting on some things today that are going to help us to live a better life on a very, very practical basis. Verse 46. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? <laughs> There's a whole teaching in that. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you what he's like. This man heard the saying of Jesus. He acted on it. So Jesus, okay, I'm going to show you what you're like. He's like a man that builds a house. He's not talking about building houses. He's talking about building lives. He builds a life and is dug deep and laid a, the foundation on a rock. Jesus is the rock. You hear what he says. You act on it. Your life goes deep. You build on Jesus. And when the floods come, they're coming. When the streams beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock, which is hearing and doing what Jesus says. Are you with me? But he who hears, he who hears and does nothing. Take up your bed and walk, but you still lay there. Another 38 years. He's like a man that built a house on earth without a foundation. No rock, no Jesus foundation. Against which the streams, same streams. Vehemently and immediately the house fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So you got the same streams, the same storms, the same adversity, same circumstances. One house stands, one house doesn't. What is the difference? The one that hears, and when he speaks a word to you, when you hear it, he who hears my, my sayings and does them, right? Acts on them, doesn't make excuses, does the second E, which is puts effort. Effort is not working, effort is not sweating. Effort is simply responding to what Jesus speaks to you personally. That's not hard to understand. Hearing and, un, and, un, and doing unveils, listen to me. Hearing and doing unveils your authentic self. 
It releases who you are. It releases the wellness. And that's not subject to the appearance world. It, it's, 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 from another, it's from another dimension. It's from another consciousness. It's from another level. The man in John 5 heard and he got up. He acted. He forgot the excuses. And he did what Jesus said. If he didn't act, you know what? Jesus would have still saw. Here's the tragedy. Jesus would have still seen that man well, but he would have never experienced it. Here's what I'm afraid happens many times today. Jesus speaks a word to us. We don't act on it. So it doesn't change his perception of us. It doesn't change our identity, but we never experience it. We never get the benefit from it. When the storms come, the rains, the wind, our life falls apart because we haven't heard and done and built on a rock. We haven't let the roots, haven't let the foundation go deep. See, the truth is, the truth is, you and I are one ultimate reality above, beyond the, the physical world. We're not just mere human beings. We're new creations. Earth has never seen people like us before. We're, we're, we're not subject to every whim. We're not subject to every circumstance. We're not subject to, to the junk of this world any more than Jesus was. Jesus was not subject to any of the garbage that went on around him, and neither are you and neither am I, right? As he is, so are we in this world. How many times are we going to hear that before we act on it, before we embrace it, before we internalize it? Jesus showed that the man didn't need to get in the water to be healed. Now, what's that mean? It means he didn't need to jump through any hoops. He didn't have to meet any conditions. He just needed to hear the word of Jesus and act on it. Now, this is, this is dynamic. Think about this. This whole situation took place pre-cross. This is before Jesus went to the cross and absorbed all of our, all of our, our sin, took upon him all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases. This is before we had the inheritance to walk in the wholeness and the fullness. So it's showing that even under the Old Covenant, this is, this is Old Covenant teaching here in John chapter 5. This is pre-crucifixion. It reveals the purpose and the intent of the Creator to make man whole and complete, needing nothing. And now, 2,000 years later, this whole, this whole thing is just beginning to come to light. We're just beginning to see it. And now that we're seeing it, it's become part of us. It's starting to emanate from us. You see it all over social media now. Man, 20 years ago, when I started posting this stuff on Facebook and social media, I was jumped on like hens on a June bug, brother. I mean, like white on rice. People got all... Now, it, it's happening. And religion... Is, is kicking and screaming. Religion's not going to give up their position. They're not going to give up their manipulation and control and domination. They're going to continue to make you think that you're messed up, jacked up, and you have no hope. That's why you come to church every week and they try to give you a formula or steps to put some hope into your life, but it never works out. Religion kicks against us, and it kicked against Jesus. Remember I said he did it on the Sabbath? And that created a little bit of a problem. Let's look at what, what happened here. John chapter 5. Here they are, the same yesterday, today, and forever. John chapter 5 and verse 15, just a little bit down. Um, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and see, you've been made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. The, remember now, sin is not an action. 
Sin, sin is a mindset. Sin is missing the mark. It's not, it's not smoking, drinking, cussing, right? He said, make sure you hold that identity. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that healed him. Now here they are. I tell you, it has not changed. Therefore, the Jews persecuted Jesus, sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. No matter what you do, you obey the word of Jesus. And now there's, there's pushback, there's repercussions. They had no idea who Jesus was. People today still have no idea who Jesus is. People don't reject Jesus. They reject the message that he's come to represent a father that's punitive, vindictive, will throw you into the pit of hell, into a fire and burn you forever. That's not who Jesus is and that's not the father that he represents. Verse 16, therefore the Jews persecuted Jesus, sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. Listen, the Jews saw and heard Jesus saying that his true nature, his identity was divine. And because he healed the man without getting into the water, without jumping through a hoop, it showed that the man was beyond the jurisdiction, was beyond the authority, the manipulation and the control of the Jews. That in fact, Jesus had brought him and tied him in oneness with the Father, needing no ritual, needing no law, needing no justification from the Jews. We're coming to know that oneness is the theme of the book of John. That's why I picked John. I wanted us to come and see time after time after time, chapter after chapter, incident after incident. John does away with all duality, as he did in his story, brings the man back to the true source, one source, which is understanding who he is, the wellness is within him, Jesus pulls it out of him, and he sees that there's one source, there's one source for all that he needs. By knowing who Jesus really is, this is, this is good. This is, this is part of the story. Knowing who Jesus is, is knowing who you really are. When you see Jesus, you know who you are. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna start, just close a little bit here. You cannot substitute seeing scripture for seeing Jesus. Jesus is the word and he is divine and, and the revealer of our true being, scripture is not. I'll let that sink in. We need to go to the one that scripture points to. He's, he not the book is deity. Jesus not the book is a member of the Godhead. And these stories that John tells puts Jesus in perfectly the right perspective. He's the source. He's, he's the one that we are co-heirs with. He's the one that has taken our life and, 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 and has birthed in us the new creation through the resurrection. Many Christians miss the point and they don't come on a one-to-one -one basis to the eternal Christ. They're still searching the scriptures, page after page after page. Any debate I get on scripture is not what Jesus has said to them. It's not what the Father has said to them. It always is what scripture says. And it's because we've used scripture, institutionalized churches use scripture here and there, cherry picked it to, to show our separation to create this thing called an endemic nature, to, to create depravity. And, and, and so we've settled for a theological system that has been, that has been um, validated through scripture. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda. We know who the one is that we are to seek. We have what we seek. We have him. 
We have what we ask. Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said it. We are already made whole. And what we need to do this morning, and my challenge to you, is now that we just need to get up and walk. We just need to be who we are. This man needed to just live in the fullness of who he actually was. It's a matter of knowing it, accepting it, fully trusting it, and living it out. So the point, the story, the whole story in John chapter 5 points to the true reality of Jesus, the union that you have with him, your ability to hear what he says, and to act on it to become all that you've always been. So what do we do? We hear it, we receive it, and we live it. Are you hearing it this morning? Can you receive it? That, that means can you just reach out and grab onto it and embrace what belongs to you? And if you can, let it settle in. And as you're able, listen, it might be just baby steps at first. It might be just a little bit baby steps. But you just begin to walk in the fullness of who you are. You get your eyes off of the 38 years of infirmity. You get, your, you get your focus. You get your intention. You get your target totally fixed on what Jesus says to you. He's a good Jesus and he talks to all of us. Spirit of truth is leading us by leaps and bounds into truth. And I'll tell you what, it's a good day to be a follower of Jesus. Amen. So I hope you picked up a lot out of this fifth chapter of John that you can use in your life and also minister to other people. That's what I want to happen at the Digital Cathedral. Remember my aim is to bring you to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that you in turn may turn around and minister to others and bring them to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. You may not do it through uh, a digital cathedral. You may not do it through a platform in front of a lot of people. It may be one-on-one, -on -one, maybe in a home group. It doesn't make any difference. We are a functioning body together. And what we do, we do collectively as we bring Jesus, the Savior of the entire cosmos, to this world. And what we're going to see is heaven joining earth, two dimensions coming into one, and we're gonna walk in it. Man, there's good stuff coming. I wish I could break out some of the things that I see coming, but I have to just keep keep building on, uh, on this thing one week after the other. Let me just say again, thank you for being with me. God bless you for your support. There's a link uh, that you can use if you'd like to help support us, carry this message around the world, partner with us uh, in this journey. I sure appreciate it. We'll see you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. at the Digital Cathedral, and we'll put another brick in the wall. God bless. See you next time.